A brief update. It's May the 12th, 2024. I've released just two episodes of this year. My father-in-law passed away in January. He bravely fought a multitude of health issues for well over 15 years. Rest in peace, John. My wife of more than 20 years, Lisa, is remarkably strong, much more so than I. Her outlook on life is always positive and has motivated me to resume my passion project. Research for new episodes is now well underway. Stay tuned and sincere thanks for subscribing to my podcast. I'm never above shameless self-promotion, mate. So all through the episode, I've been <laughs> pimping out the show, but good. I think it's fantastic, uh, even if I say so myself, but I love the history of the game. Had I not done the podcast myself, I want to hear all these sort of stories. So that's why the podcast came to be. Then you are in Australia right now. You're talking NBA basketball. You're talking great teams. You're talking great individual players. Takes it off and there's number 23. And of course, Johnny goes nuts. So I'm getting first bumps thinking about it now. I just tried to go out there and play my game. I have no idea what you're talking about, Adam. I don't like anybody. I'm not a people person. Strand, you make the pass. Yes. Christian, can you catch the ball? Yes. All the stars were aligned and all the muscles fired at the right time. And I was able to get off the ground and throw one down. I was saving that as a surprise for you. And now, introducing your host for In All Airness, Adam Ryan. Welcome to episode 118. Thanks for joining me. Today, for a change, I'm the guest. My friend Joseph Kaur, host of NBL Pocket Podcast, invited me on his show. We recorded this evergreen conversation in August of 2019. The episode was released on his podcast feed in early 2020. This is my edit of our hour-long episode that Joe released. Fans of my show may be interested to hear me mention a few guest episodes that have not yet come to fruition. Uh, We also discussed plenty of 1990s NBA topics. Joe's podcast is primarily focused on Australia's National Basketball League, the NBL. Our league has gained global recognition recently due to its Next Stars program, Thanks in large part to current NBA rookies LaMelo Ball and RJ Hampton. Check out Joe's podcast if you haven't already. Search for NBL Pocket Podcast on your player of choice. I'm a fan of Joe's interviewing style. He is matter of fact, curious, and he asks great questions of his guests. Towards the end of the episode, I'll share perhaps the most inspiring podcast review I've received yet. If you can spare a moment or two, please add your review via your listening app. It'll be most appreciated. Show notes for this episode and access to a huge archive of past episodes are available at inallairness.com. Now, onto the show. How long have you been doing the podcast for? I uh, started it, I think, in 2012, late 2012. So coming up on seven years, thereabouts. Who's your next guest you've got coming up or next episode idea? Uh, I've got a few guys that are in the pipeline at the moment, but um, just getting them to commit is half the battle, especially when you just do this as a passion project. Um, some people have the mistaken belief that I get paid to do this. But I've got a few guys uh, lined up. Uh, Rod Strickland is one that's uh, wow. I'm sort of circling around at the moment. I'm getting uh, Dale Ellis back on the show to talk about the 1989 NBA All-Star game because he had a, a monster performance in that, and uh, that goes a bit under the radar. So he had about 27 points. His whole career goes under the radar. He was most improved one year where he jumped from, you know, four points to like a bona fide start, 25 or something like that. It was a great shooter and he's really forgotten. Yeah, when he left Dallas, he went to Seattle and then became a star. 
Dale's been on the show previously, uh, quite a few years ago now, but I reached out to him recently and uh, he's interested in doing sort of a watch-along of the 89 All-Star game and uh, commenting on what happened and different memories of players that he was uh, playing with for, for that particular game. So I'm excited to do that. I've just got heaps of ideas. Yeah, hard to take from idea down onto paper, I suppose. Yeah, but I've certainly got guys who have said, yeah, yeah, we'll chat, and it just doesn't come to fruition, or it takes a few reminders here and there. I don't want to be that guy that keeps on annoying somebody. So That's oh, the worst. They're doing me the favour, so I try and just play it as cool as I can, and uh, when the stars do align, then uh, good things can happen. But uh, I've got plenty of things in the works. It's just a matter of uh, getting them recorded and uh, going from there. Here's a, where your investigative journalism still is coming how do you like a rod strickland how, how do you find him do you just find him on twitter and social and go for it or another way that you kind of get in touch with people who are a bit more difficult to find yeah good question uh sometimes it's sort of networking some of the guys i've had on the show have been helpful in terms of connecting me with other guys uh but most of them are accessible via social media one way or the other some of them are starting to branch out into instagram now these days and uh, some are on twitter or even you do a facebook search and you never know your luck um, so I try and reach out to them that way. Uh, occasionally, I can find out some email addresses. Uh, LinkedIn's quite helpful as well. Jim McIlvain, who's a, a former guest on my show, has been very helpful. I mean, I haven't spoken to him since about 2014. <laughs> as far as voice, when he was on my show, it became a two-part episode because we talked for so long. I've listened to some. Whenever I get a free moment, you're the first one I go to, but I've only listened to some, unfortunately. But sorry, Adam Kingo. <laughs> no, you're right. That's fine. But Jib's been very helpful behind the scenes. And uh, even as recently as the last few weeks, he helped me connect with Paul Mokeski, the most recent guy I've had on the show. And he's a bit of a cult hero from the Milwaukee Bucks back in the 1980s. So you just never know how these things come to be. Uh, one night, I got a message out of nowhere from Jim saying, Paul would love to chat. Um, he mentioned my show to him. And here's his details. And that's how that one came to be within, you know, 48 hours I'm speaking to him. So then I just start going into the the rabbit holes and the deep recesses of the internet and uh, do some searches. Um, I use a thing called newspapers.com. Yes. Which is excellent. It's a paid subscription, but you get some incredible details that way. Someone's told me about newspapers.com as well. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's an archive of newspapers from mostly in America but of course that's the perfect place for me to be able to actually uh, search through and you can just put in a person's name you can narrow it down to a date range put in some keywords and it brings up uh, all kinds of results and then I use all that information and then put it into chronological order uh, in a document on my end and I just sort of work my way through what the person did and uh, achieved throughout their career and that's how I use uh, that as a basis for the conversation topics. You know, because I got in touch with a guy, I believe, I hope his name is pronouncing it right, Seth Rosenthal. He does the Mm -hmm. young guy who does the like ESPN beef history things for ESPN Nation or whatever it's called. I got in touch with him. I was like, where do do you pull those little articles? You know how sometimes I'll have like a headline and it's highlighted, you know, Jordan hits the shot or whatever. Um, I was like, how do you get that? And he goes, newspapers.com. He goes, it's a really good um encyclopedia i suppose and the fact that someone's archived all those newspapers or at least a lot of them like that's an incredible amount of work and congratulations to newspapers.com that's amazing yeah well i think it's about 70 us dollars per six months or something like that as a subscription so it's definitely worth it and uh i just find out so many intriguing bits of information that that then sets up the basis of the conversations and also you can get access to plenty of uh fantastic photos that appear in the papers from back in the day as well. So like, for example, with Paul McKeskey, I found uh, just stacks of photos of him from back in his early days in uh, playing for Kansas and even a couple of high school photos. And 
Wow. I send them on to those players. And they haven't seen them, I bet. No, that's right. They haven't seen it for years, if ever. And then they think, oh, wow, this guy seems legit. So it sort of helps them open up more because they know that I'm invested. So that's sort of how I, uh, I sort of use it to my advantage. I love doing it as well. I just love the history of the game. So whenever I can find out more about these guys, then newspapers.com is a big way to go. But also just from what I've watched over the years, like all the different games I've seen and the stories and things I've read in books and whatnot, all those things just are in my mind. Oh, I want to ask him about this. I want to ask him about that. And then I just put it into a document, get it into order of, of when it happened and you know what unfolded, and go from there. When you send that initial contact, because that's I think it's quite important that first impression. When you send it, have you got an email that's you know um, Adam at inallenders.com or and what's the phrasing of your request? I use a Gmail address, so it's probably not the most professional thing going around, but it's uh, inallenders at gmail.com. Right. Usually in the uh, the subject, I put something like. Um, NBA history podcast interview request, Adam in Australia, something like that. So normally I'd sort of state Australia in their subject because not often these guys are conducted by somebody who's in another continent. International, yeah. And then wants to talk about their career. So I usually just make it a pretty brief contact to begin with. And if possible, I go through basketball reference and see who some of their teammates were over their journey. And if they've been a previous guest on my show, I mention them straight up and say, look, these guys have guested on my show. Um, I'd love to do a deep dive in your career. Uh, would you be interested in talking about your life in basketball? And usually I'll just leave it at that. I include a link to a couple of my previous conversations and just uh, see how it goes. And often they just reply based on that and uh, have a bit of interest and then it sort of yeah, all goes from there. But it's sometimes some guys are really responsive to it. Others you sort of never hear back from. <laughs> uh, there's some guys that sort of show interest and then they sort of it wanes away and then you sort of chase them up a couple of months later. But yeah, I never want to try and push the issue too much. Nah. They're doing me the massive favor. And also it's like sometimes maybe your email's gone to the wrong place. Sometimes you take it personally and you don't get a response, but maybe they haven't even received it. You never know. <laughs> but yeah, just for the people out there who are trying to get interviewed, that's that's a good way to do it is to mention you're from Australia. It's almost a little bit of um, a little bit of cachet to say you're international. The title of your podcast, In All Airness, where did you come up with the title? Or when did it strike you that that was the one you wanted to go with? Well, I wax and wane on this all the time because I'm not sure I even like the title, to be honest, but it stuck. It's quite, that's Eric, like it's it's too clever, mate. Oh, yes, too clever by half, as Dennis Cometti would say, uh, the great Australian rules football commentator. Um, I love wordplay and puns and silly things like that. And just, I was going through all kinds of ideas for what the topic um, you know, what it relates to and what I could possibly call the show. And I thought, you know, in all fairness, and then I thought, oh, hang on, his nickname's Airness. In all Airness, it's all about his Airness. I, I don't know. Like, I don't really love the name, but it's just, it's what I'm stuck with. It'd be too much trouble to rename it after all this time, like seven years down the track. And initially it was going to be all about Jordan, but it quickly became just about the history of the NBA. Yes. Of course, Jordan's a, a massive part of that, and a lot of the players and media and coaches I've chatted to are involved and have worked with or played against or whatever with Jordan, but it's so much more than just MJ, so unfortunately, uh, the title sort of shoots me in the foot sometimes, but I do add like a Jordan-era NBA history podcast or something like that in amongst the details of it on uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts, uh, as it's now known. I mean, I call my... When I originally said it, I literally just wanted to call the, the podcast something so basically simple that you immediately thought. So I went to NBL Pocket Podcast because I wanted to do it in under an hour, but sometimes it goes longer than that. Uh, <laughs> I actually wanted to do it about half an hour. So 
when you say you shot yourself in the foot, I know exactly what you mean. Where I'm like, oh, I wanted to keep this super, super sharp and tight. But sometimes it, you need that 45 minutes to an hour with certain guests. It just happens. Some of my conversations go for well beyond an hour. It doesn't necessarily start out thinking I'm going to be chatting for two hours. Like the Paul McKeskey, the most recent episode, almost two hours. I didn't know it was going to go for that long, but I, I had all his career sort of chronologically listed. And I thought, well, I'll ask about this and this. And I just kept on branching out from there. You just never know. But I didn't want to call it just NBA history podcast because- Too generic. I wasn't sure of the legalities of it. I didn't know if I could just say it was called the NBA history podcast. Yes. Because back when I started in 2012, there weren't a lot of podcasts around at that stage. I'm sure there were still in the tens of thousands, but um, I didn't want to just get booted off uh, iTunes as it was then known because I just called it the NBA history podcast. So you had to be a little bit uh, clever in trying to, to change the name, but I think I was too clever by half. Um, my then question is, you're a big fan of the NBA and basketball and that, but what makes you decide, wh- why a podcast? Why not a website with articles or, or a documentary? Why podcast and, and the way you've done it? Uh, I love podcasts. Since about 2008, I think that was probably when I can recall listening to podcasts. Um, one of the main ones I got back in the day, as most people who probably are listening to this, would be the uh, BS Report with Bill Simmons. Yeah, sure. I listened to that for quite a few years and it only dawned on me in 2012. I mean, it's still fairly early, I guess, but not not too early in the podcasting history. I think they began in about 2004, 2005. But I thought to myself, why don't I just start a podcast on my own? Like I love them so much and I listen to them all the time. Um, Nobody's really doing what I actually wanted to hear. That was another thing because I wanted to hear conversations with guys who played in the NBA back in the day. Um. I still love the game today, uh, but it just doesn't hold a candle to the the pre nineteen ninety eight uh, era for me, and um, that's just my love and, and nostalgia for that period of time. So I thought, oh well, I don't know how well I'll go, but I just want to start one myself and see see what happens and try and get uh, guys on the show that used to play in the NBA or the ABA back in the day or whatever it might be. And um, the first guest I ended up getting in touch with was uh, Bill Winnington, who was, uh, of course, a, a key member of the Bulls on their second title run in the 1990s. And a proud Canadian as well. I have these patchy memories because obviously you know my age where, where I'm at with this thing, but I remember him having, for a while, I don't think it was in Australia, but certainly in the United States, he had his own McDonald's burger and it was called the Beef Wennington. And yes. it had, is this true? Am I right when I say this? Yeah, you're right. He did have the beef when he did. I think I briefly asked him about it in my chat with him. Do you remember what he said? I can't actually remember what he said, but I think he brought it up just in passing. But I think there's a couple of ads for it uh, that still exist that are online. You can find uh, if you do enough searching for it. But I think he, he really enjoyed just having it named after him. And uh, yeah, it's quite quite uh, amusing to look back on. But it's funny how these sort of things come to mind and still stay in the memory banks You know, 20, 30 years after the event. For sure. Now, you said how you like the NBA sort of pre-98. Obviously, the podcast is called In All Airness, semi-centered around Jordan and the Bulls. My question is, what, what did you like about that particular time? Like you said, it was nostalgic, but is there anything you can really pinpoint as to what you loved about that time and indeed Jordan and, and the Bulls? Is there anything particular to you that you really enjoyed about those two things? Definitely. Pre-98, that's obviously my sweet spot. When the Bulls won Game 6 in 1998 at Utah, that was my 23rd birthday exactly on June the 14th. That holds pretty special memories as well, um, just coincidentally with numbers. Uh, But 1989 was one of the first uh, times that I recorded some NBA games on videotape uh, here in Australia on ABC 
um, Peter G was the guy that mostly hosted the uh, NBA games that we used to get once a week on TV. And uh, usually they were two or three weeks delayed, sometimes longer. But yeah, I used to record games on videotape. Uh, one of the first ones I ever recorded was Jordan's shot at Cleveland in 1989, uh, Game 5 uh, at Richfield Coliseum. I watched that game countless times over the following five, six, seven years with my brother, my brother Luke, uh, and we just wore that tape out. And then I'd also recorded stacks of other things around that time and began to just amass a collection of games that would build up over the next 10 years. What was the NBA coverage like? Did the ABC just straight away throw to the NBA and it was American commentators and everything? Or was there, was there a little bit of a fingerprint of the ABC on the game? Uh, there was basically a, a quick intro from Peter G. He'd be wearing his famous green jacket and most of the people old enough to remember would remember this. I don't remember Peter G, but when you say green jacket, ABC Sports, I'm immediately thinking of The Late Show and Graham and the Colonel. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's right. Is that a rip-off of him? Oh, I don't know if it's a rip-off of uh, Peter G, but I think it might have been some of the, the wardrobe choices of the ABC back at that time. I'm not entirely sure, but I definitely know uh, you're talking about Rob Sitch and uh, Sano Chalara. They'd briefly have an intro with Peter G. He'd sort of introduce what game we're about to watch. It used to be a slightly edited version. I think they were one or one and a half hours. And then it would cut straight to the NBA telecast as it happened uh, on either TNT or TBS or whatever channel it was at the time. And then he'd sort of do an outro where he'd talk usually about what the game would be the following week and a couple of other key stats and things here and there. And it would just usually be one game a week. Uh, on a Friday night, we get them on ABC, and then I think they replayed them pretty much every Saturday morning as well. But yeah, one of the first games was the shot. I also recorded the 1989 NBA All-Star game, which was a few months prior to that. And there were a couple of the early ones I kept on tape and just watched them over and over. Not too long after that, in the early 90s, the NBA card collecting craze kicked off and uh, my brother and I would just get cards after cards after cards and we just studied the back of the cards and that's how I learned about a lot of the players. I'd get the Hoop magazine, Basketball Digest, all those sort of things and that's when I really fell in love with the game. All throughout the, the 90s, I just became more and more obsessed and that's why I think just looking back, I, I just love that era so much because I can identify with it as, as when I first fell in love with it. So that's why I mostly focus on 1998 or earlier. There's something about the the basketball card, and they've kind of gone out of fashion. I think they're still around, but it's more of a real specific trade now. Before, like everybody just had them, and I think when you know now the the NBA is consumed, um, you know, online and in video, which is great. But there's you know it's not as tangible as, as the actual physical little card. Like you hold a bit of card, it's physically in your hand. You can't just click on it and it's gone the next minute. You know, you got to find a home for it. I feel like that it sounds a bit sort of um, conceptual, but. That idea of that the NBA was in your hand growing up, uh, it makes it a little bit more nostalgic. I don't know, maybe a bit much. I definitely agree because um, I'd also just take pride in the fact that I'd learn all the names and, and nicknames of these players. I'd look at what college they attended, what numbers they wore, yeah, you know, key stats. And even to this day, there's certain players, as soon as I hear their name, I think, oh, yeah, he went to that college. Oh, he wore that number. That type of graphic on the card or what have you, yeah. Did you have a brand that you liked? Were you an upper deck guy? or No, I actually had the NBA hoops. I only really collected NBA hoops for just a couple of seasons. I don't know why I stopped. I had Fleer for a little while. Um, I don't think I had many upper deck at all, but uh, strangely, I stopped sort of collecting them in the, uh, after a couple of seasons. But you had some very fond memories of just watching the collection grow and then just keep looking over and over and getting them all sorted and putting them into folders and all that sort of sad stuff. <laughs> but I love doing it, so. Let's talk about that 89 game, the, the shot. The way I remember it, and I watched probably a copy of it um, you know, a couple of years ago, 
Craig Elo kind of has like one of the the best worst games in history. Like he's actually going tick for tack. Like he's doing a lot of scoring in the last couple of minutes. If I remember, it's not just a Jordan shoots a shot over a lame duck. Am I right when I say that? Yeah, spot on. Craig had a great game. Him and Mark Price had fantastic games. They were both injured during that series. Coincidentally, a little shameless self promotion. I'm never above that. Both guys, Craig Elo and Mark Price, have guested on my podcast. So I've chatted to them in some depth about this series. I'm not sure how much they wanted to talk about it, but I certainly asked them about it quite a bit. It's an amazing series. Oh, it's fantastic. I absolutely love it. Jordan says he's going to win it four. They take long. He misses free throws. Elo had a, a great game, and uh, if it actually wasn't for Jordan making that final shot over the outstretched arms of Elo as he sort of sailed past and Jordan just hung that extra half second, it seemed, uh, Elo would have been the hero of the game because he hit the shot that put... Cleveland up by one that preceded Jordan's final shot. Yeah, lots of great things from that series. It went to the fifth game. Uh, Chicago were the underdogs. They were the lowest seed, actually. Uh, And Cleveland had beaten the Bulls, I think, six times straight through the regular season. The rest is history, I guess, in terms of uh, of the shot. But it was a fantastic game. Eli had a great game, and so did Mark Price. I'm always interested in guys who play like really good runner-up games, you know, and that is one that stands out, Craig Elo against Jordan. The other one is like Dikemi Mutombo against Shaq in that series, it's 2001, where Shaq has an incredible series, dominates, Mutombo actually plays really well, but you wouldn't know it. When greatness gets eclipsed, it's uh, it's an interesting little thing, you know, and that, that was certainly one of them. Have you seen the footage of that 89 after the shot where it's done from the local Chicago news reporters, guys, and they run on the court? Have you seen that? Absolutely, mate. How amazing is that footage? Where he's grabbing Jordan and, and asks the question. and Yeah, and then the CBS guys are sort of trying to push him away as uh, James Brown's trying to get the main interview with him. But yeah, he's going, yeah, you stuck it. You stuck it, Michael. You stuck it. <laughs> Jordan gives a very human answer. He, normally very camera-ready Jordan, not so camera-ready in that moment. And then he sharpens up for the, for the national TV. It's really incredible footage. Yeah, it's rather um, primal, I guess you could say, uh, his reaction, and certainly the, the two Chicago guys. One was the, uh, the, the guy actually recording it on the camera. The other guy was um, the reporter as such. I'm just trying to think uh, who the guy's name was. You haven't spoken to him? No, I've got in touch with the guy that filmed the actual angle that you're talking about, and I know of the name of the guy who's escaping me at the moment, but another guy from Chicago was there, Rich King. He's in the background as well uh, on the baseline, and you can see him watching the shot uh, as it happens uh, on one of the angles of the, the photo of Jordan's shot. But yeah, I've got in touch with them, but um, to this point, haven't managed to, to lure them onto the show, but uh, I'll keep at it, mate. What's your relationship with like the Chicago Sun-Times and the Chicago Tribune? Do you kind of have any contact with them? Who, who's their Adam Ryan equivalent? Who's like their their best uh, Bulls contact from that era? Do you know who it is? I've spoken to a couple of the great ones. Uh, Sam Smith. He writes for the Tribune or did. Yeah, he's probably the preeminent guy that most people sort of jump to immediately when you think of the Bulls. He still covers the Bulls to this day, but uh, for Bulls.com mostly. At that time, Sam Smith was definitely there. Um, I think Lacey Banks is the name of another guy that was uh, certainly involved back at the time. And I've also had a, a lady on the show, Cheryl Ray Stout, who is a Chicago radio pioneer uh, and one of the first women to be involved in the coverage of the Bulls back in that era as well. Uh, she broke some unbelievable stories about Jordan and I've had her on the show and she opened up about uh, how the story of Jordan's comeback in 1995 actually uh, came to be. She was one of the first to actually hear the news of, of Jordan's impending return, which is overlooked quite a bit. And also she broke the story of him actually first leaving the game as well. So aside from Sam Smith, who's actually guested on the show a couple of times too, 
Uh, he wrote the Jordan Rules book, of course. Um, Second Coming. And one recently, which I haven't read. What's the title of that one? It's the one about the labor negotiations. And for the life of me, I can't think of what it was. Prior to that, he had one called There Is No Next, which was another thing about Jordan. There Is No Next. That's the one I actually meant. So He's written another one since then, which was about the labor negotiations that uh, led to the players getting you know, the exorbitant money they're getting today in the NBA. Um, I can't think of what that one's called. But yeah, so there are a couple of the main ones. Uh, the other guys that we reference, um, another great mate of mine, Aaron Steen, who's the co-host with me on the, the series that I do uh, called NB, whatever it might be. NB88 is the series that we're doing at the moment, which is covering the 88 season as it unfolded. Uh, We reference uh, a guy called Bob Sakamoto. Uh, He was another guy that wrote a lot of great pieces on the Bulls. Uh, I don't think the Sun-Times is accessible via newspapers.com. We've accessed the Chicago Tribune to a great degree because we got a lot of our great information on that series where we cover the season as it unfolds uh, through the Tribune archives. What about Jordan and the Bulls in particular? Like, obviously, an amazing player and everything, but is there anything about them that's particular to, to you that you liked and, and thought about running with this idea of a podcast that's through their prism? Well, one of the unheralded players that I absolutely love is Dave Corzine, and he was on the Bulls in the 1989 season. That was his last season with Chicago. Uh, an interesting little stat about him, he played the most games for the Chicago Bulls in the 1980s. That's a great trivia question that probably... Nobody would actually uh, get correct. But he was on that uh, roster and played in the game at Cleveland, game five in 89. And as soon as I saw him, I was just became transfixed by him, thinking, who is this guy? What, what's he on the roster and what's his history? And then when I got his basketball card, I sort of studied a bit more about him. And I've always been fascinated by him. And the reason that the podcast, I think, has spawned into what it has become is I love hearing the stories of guys who are not the most well-known on a roster. Sure. It's great to have somebody who's really high profile and was an all-star or a Hall of Famer, don't get me wrong, but it's just awesome to hear the story of someone who who never really had the spotlight shine on them throughout their NBA career, to at least to the degree that these other stars do, but they often have the most interesting stories and experiences that are hardly ever actually touched on or um, elaborated on. So that's why I thought, well, I'll create the website. I initially started doing a few blog posts here and there, but it quickly transformed to be just really a podcast and I wanted to just hear these guys' stories and just sort of uncover the things that they achieved because they're still one of the top two, three, four hundred players in the world. Yeah. Um, and yet people still talk down and say, oh, these guys are just, you know, white stiffs or whatever and it just annoys me so much. But I thought I want to share their stories and, and often they've got the most uh, interesting ones that very rarely ever hear. We were talking about Sam Smith and books before. Have you got a favourite NBA book? Is it Bill Simmons's Book of Basketball? or I do have the Book of Basketball. There's a lot of ones I've got on my shelf that I haven't actually even got to read yet. Which ones haven't you read yet? Um, there's a great one that uh, I'm hearing plenty of good things about called The Last Pass. It's written by, I think, Gary Pomerantz. It's about Bob Cousy and Bill Russell's relationship and uh, oh, yeah. their journey. It's only come out, I think, in the last sort of six to 12 months. But um, yeah, The Last Pass, definitely have a look at that. I'm just going to turn around and look at my bookshelf for a minute. Work away. Michael Jordan, The Life, is uh, a fantastic book written by Roland Lazenby. I've avoided that because I've thought, what could I possibly not know at this point? I've read Sam Smith's one. What's good about that one that you like? Well, it's an absolute tome to begin with. It's massive. It's like six, 700 pages, something like that. Yeah. He dives into the Jordan family background and goes back a couple of generations, oh. establishing how Jordan's maniacal uh, side on the court came to be based on perhaps uh, some of the generations before him and what they did 
in the uh, early years before you know Michael was even a, a twinkle in his dad's eye, as they say. Wow. Yeah, really insightful look, and it's a, a massive deep dive on Jordan's life. Roland Lazenby is a fantastic author. Uh, hopefully, I'll have him on the show at some stage in the future. I actually sent him a couple of uh, Jordan game DVDs in advance of him writing that book. Oh. He very kindly put my, my name in the acknowledgements, which was fantastic. Get out of here. I'm going to go into the Lyris bookstore and, uh, and check it out, for sure, because I've seen it there. <laughs> I'll give it a second look. He also was uh, responsible for another great book. One of my other favorites I've got is called And Now Your Chicago Bulls. I think it was a 30-year anniversary book at the time. I got it for my 21st birthday from a really close friend of mine. A pictorial book, but also Roland Lazenby does the words as well to do with um, the history of the Bulls franchise. And there's some fantastic photos and stories about some of the key moments and, and players over the journey to that point with the Chicago Bulls. This is both a confession and a, uh, a brag, I suppose. But my high school library had a copy of Three Pete Repeat, which was a sort of almost A3, large size book, photo journal of the 98 series against Utah. And I remember thinking, it is terrible, but I said, I don't trust this library to take as much care of this book as I will, and I stole it. <laughs> anyway, that's my uh, high school library. Sorry about that. I just thought, no, no, no. I know I'll take better care of it, because I remember reading it, and there was a bit of pen mark in it and stuff, and I was like, no, I can't. I can't have that, so I took it. You're saying it's unacceptable that it's a pen mark. It's coming home with me. It was real crafty. I stole the barcode off it and everything. You know, I felt At the time, I felt strongly that it had to be done. Oh, that is so good. Well done. Congratulations on that, retrospectively. Jordan rules and second coming um, stand out also because they, they tell a great story, but also because of the investigative journalism involved. Like Sam Smith is sort of a, a brilliant writer in that respect of really telling a really unpopular story, certainly with Jordan and risked a lot in printing kind of that book. I wouldn't say it was negative. It was deeply honest and, you know, portrays Phil Jackson in a certain light, Doug Collins in a certain like Jordan himself. Um, I haven't actually listened to your interview with Sam yet. What was your impression of him uh, writing that book and that book in general? Uh, the book was uh, eye-opening, to say the least, and it certainly provided me with a few questions for future guests. Uh, for example, I had Bill Cartwright on the show, starting center for the Bulls back in the uh, late 80s and into the early 90s, of course. He won three titles with uh, Chicago. In that, Jordan said something on the lines of, Don't pass him the ball. Yeah, don't pass to Bill. Um, and I asked Bill about that, and he, he gave me quite an honest answer back as well. Um, Sam Smith's book was um, certainly transcendent at the time. Uh, we're talking pre-internet, so what was in the book, obviously, uh, it certainly became massive talking points uh, at that stage when it was released and, of course, all through the papers and probably soured his relationship, I guess, with Jordan to an extent too. And, uh, and when you're covering the bulls, that makes it difficult. <laughs> would make it very difficult. Um, back when I had Sam on the show the first time, I think it was like in the first 10 to 15 episodes he was on, so... The first 20 or so episodes of my show, my audio quality is absolutely terrible. I'm talking into a web camera. Um, the microphone was, was shocking, but thankfully, the guest side of things, their audio is pretty good because it's usually Skype or it may have been a phone call uh, quality, but still, they sound pretty good where I sound terrible. But it was early days. I still took pride in the research I did at that time, but I'd love to get Sam back on the show again, uh, talk to some more specific points again to do with those bulls back in that era, but... I found him to be really um, a great guy to chat with. He was very accommodating. And once I sort of reached out to him back at that time, might have been 2013 or something like that, he responded really quickly. And within probably three or four days, we were chatting. Uh, and then he came back on again probably three or four years later when uh, the new book he put out, There Is No Next. And then uh, my mate Aaron and myself 
we chatted with him in a, like a three-man weave chatting about that book as well. And he was really good to talking about the process behind how that book came to be and, and his research and interviews he did in, in the lead up to uh, putting out that book about you know, whether or not there will be another MJ. That's always the question. I hate to even go down that road because you see enough of that sort of talk on <laughs> Facebook about who's better and that. It drives you nuts. We won't go there. No. Who was that first guest who, who you were starstruck and nervous about calling? I get a bit nervous before every call. As soon as I hear the Skype line ringing, I think, oh, boy, what am I doing? Oh, no, I'm freaking out. <laughs> the very first episode was Bill Weddington, right? And I've said this a couple of times, but it was a funny way that it even came to be. Do you want the story very quickly? Yeah, yeah, go. Yeah, please. Okay. There's an app on the phone called Words with Friends, and uh, I'm not sure if you've played it. It's like Scrabble, I guess. But at some stage, Bill Wennington on Twitter put a comment about his Words with Friends score or something like that. It mentioned his username at the time. I think I was already playing the game on the app, but I added him as a, an opponent and then messaged him behind the scenes and said, is this really the Bill Wennington? And then we were playing a few games back and forwards, and then he replied and said, yes, it is, and if it's not, my whole life has been a lie. So I thought, oh, okay, that's quite interesting. So he's got a sense of humor. We were going back and forwards playing this game, and then I thought, well, I'm thinking about starting a podcast. I'm in communication here with Bill Wennington. If this is really him, why don't I try and set up a chat with him? So I said something like, this is all via a message behind the scenes in the game. On a scale of 1 to 10, where would you sit in terms of chatting with me via Skype about your career when I start a new NBA history podcast? And he replied with, I think, five. So I thought, oh, okay, well, he doesn't absolutely despise me. It's a maybe. It's a maybe. That's it. He doesn't despise me, yet he's not saying, oh, yeah, sure, let's do it. So I thought, okay, well, we'll just continue playing this game back and forwards. And then after a few months, I started doing my research on him. I came up with all the ideas of questions I'd like to ask him and topics I'd like to chat about and then said, you know, would you like to make this happen? And it happened in the off-season between, I guess, before the 2012-2013 season began. And fast forward to when the call was about to happen, it was late at night here in Australia, so probably early-ish morning over there, and he answered the Skype call and he answered it in video. So all of a sudden, he's on the screen in front of me. It's the first time I'm doing a podcast recording and Bill Wennington pops up on the screen in front of me, and I am freaking out. Oh. But I was just beside myself thinking, my goodness, this is Bill Wennington, a guy that I've admired. He's an NBA champion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A guy that I've followed for the last 20-odd years. I've known who he is and what he's done and his impression on the city of Chicago, and he's there right in front of me talking, and that was the very first person I had on the show, and he fired up the old video, and I was, uh, I was a bit uh, frightened, to be honest. Yeah, the video does throw me off as well. <laughs> if you're talking with someone internationally, you're either doing it late at night or early in the morning. Not exactly camera ready. So. <laughs> That's right. I think I saw on your Twitter the other day, you had that amazing shot on the cover of Come Fly With Me. First of all, tell me, what's your favorite NBA entertainment video? Um, and then specifically your favorite Jordan NBA entertainment, because there's a plethora out there. There is. I've got some fantastic releases. My favorite would have to be Come Fly With Me. Same. Watched it so often, it was crazy. The music, okay, can I quickly jump in there? Please. There's a guy on YouTube, his name is Jose, and he's got a very unique surname, Terextria or something like that. He's got all the clean audio from NBA music. I mean everything. So all the songs from Come Fly With Me, totally clean, no voiceover, not taped off the TV. I've heard of You've seen it? It's amazing. 
<laughs> I've saved them all. I walk down the street with some of that stuff half the time. That's funny. That actually reminds me. I, at one stage, when I was driving to and from my job, I was a primary school teacher or elementary school teacher for about six years. And um, I don't teach currently. But I'm just uh, out of the teaching game. But I used to record the audio from NBA games onto CDs back in the day. I'd play the audio of games, uh, so it'd be like you know Marv Albert and Mike Fratello calling a Bulls-Cavaliers game or whatever it might have been, and I was listening to that on the way to and from work, so it's quite sad. And listen to it like a radio call. That's not a good idea, actually. That's awesome. Amazing. But yeah, come play with me. What about just NBA in general? Were you a, a Dazzling Dunks basketball bloopers guy, or do you have something else you like? We had uh, Dazzling Dunks and basketball bloopers. We used to watch that relentlessly as well. And I made my brother initially watch it with me, and then he came to love it as much as I did. Then there was the all-new Dazzling Dunks and basketball bloopers. Uh, it was just so good to see Frank Layden and Marv Albert and their humor going back and forwards in amongst all these NBA highlights and music clips as well. So NBA Superstars is another fantastic one. Yeah, that was amazing. The one with Pearl Jam, I think. They were spectacular. And then I was fortunate enough to have Don Sperling, who's the, the head of NBA Entertainment. You see that name on the, the back of the videos. Don talks about the part where he's chatting to, I think it's MJ's high school coach, and he says something along the lines of, yes, I'm the guy that cut Michael Jordan from his high school team, or whatever the words are. But in order for him to finally get that clip on Come Fly With Me, he basically said to him, look, if you don't say pretty much these exact words, I can't put it in the clip. So he then got the guy to say it, and that's the only words you hear from that coach. <laughs> and it's basically because Don said, you must say it like this or you won't be on the show. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Um, he elaborated on that uh, in our episode. I've watched that enough, but I've never been able to really put my finger on what made those so good. And they were all really good. Come Fly With Me was my favorite, but Airtime's amazing and Untouchables. All that sort of stuff. I still haven't quite worked out what they did that was so special, but amazing. Let's think about Jordan now. Obviously, was very lucky to be the type of player he was. I really do believe he was once in a generation and unreplicatable. I think that's probably pretty fair. But now, like with the social media that goes on, like has his legacy kind of been torn down and just he's been made a bit of a mockery of, like his crying face is on a lot of internet stuff. What is your relationship with Jordan now that he's with the Hornets? I'm still a massive fan, still love following whatever he gets up to. And anytime he gets uh, some camera time, wherever he is, I love seeing it and seeing what he's doing. He's been made a bit of a, a fool via these crying Jordan things, which I just despise, but that's another whole thing in itself. But I'm glad for him that he actually didn't have to experience any of the social media era as a player, because I've heard him on record say in interviews countless times that he wouldn't have been able to probably perform the way he did if there was the uh, entire scrutiny of social media where you can't do anything without somebody filming you or, or hearing about it. I'm glad that he missed that whole era as a player. Um, these days, yeah, he's getting criticism for the fact that he's not a great owner and he doesn't make the right moves and whatnot. Lampooned is probably the word I'd use. It's that sort of point and laugh type thing, which is certainly there's criticism of him and you know the team he's run and whatever, but it's that joking style that I dislike. It is. It's pretty much uh, some tall poppy syndrome going on and He's doing whatever he can and putting a lot of money into it at the same time. But, I mean, he's got his uh, finger in about 35 different pies. And, of course, he's uh, earning millions and millions every year as it goes. But I would have loved to have seen him actually enter into commentary, cover games and uh, be a sort of a a special comments person. Um, It would have been great to see what he would have done had he gone into the the media side of things. Let's go to the year he's not there. 93, 94, and then 94, 95, half of that season. Am I right when I say that? 
Spot on, yeah. 1994, interestingly, uh, I was on an NBA tour with some other Australians. We flew over to LA and then we watched about six or seven games in about two weeks across the country. When we paid the deposit for that trip, Jordan was still an active NBA player. (laughs) No. It was probably three or four weeks, I think, after the deposit was paid for the trip that Jordan actually ended up retiring. Brutal. Due to the uh, tragic death of his dad. I was just beside myself and uh, I was about 19, I guess, at the time. And I was absolutely livid because the Bulls game was going to be one of the highlights of the trip. Yeah, of course. We get over there, we see uh, six or seven games. Um, We get to Chicago, we saw the Bulls play the 76ers. It was Sean Bradley's rookie season with the 76ers, and I love Sean Bradley. The Bulls won in a massive blowout, but it was already terrible because Jordan had retired. So we didn't get to see Jordan play, but we get to see Pippen play, and we saw some other great players in the NBA at that time. So it was great to be in the old Chicago Stadium. But I really loved that season because, uh, first of all, I was over there and saw some games during that time. Pippen had an absolute ripper of a season, MVP quality season. Won the All-Star Game MVP as well in 94. So he was uh, on fire that season, but sadly missed out on seeing Jordan. So uh, I've got quite a strong attachment to that season regardless, even though Jordan was in retirement. The lineup would have been BJ Armstrong, Pippen, Horace Grant, and still Will Perdue. I don't think he was traded at that point. And your starting shooter guard would have been what? Pete Myers. He actually played for the Bulls back in the maybe 87 season. When he was a youngster, he was uh, on the Bulls roster. Then he came back and was pretty much the guy that was tasked with (laughs) replacing uh, Michael Jordan. They hadn't pulled the trade on um, Rodman yet. They still had Will Perdue. Rodman came over, I think, in October of 95 is when he joined the team, um, when they got rid of Perdue just prior to the 95-96 season kicking off. If you look at that 94-95, that season and a half in the absence of Jordan, it really shows how good Pippen was. But have you ever looked into like the Pete Myers situation, like what it was like being that guy? I'm not sure what his current role is, but he certainly was with the Bulls fairly recently. He had, obviously, a lot of expectation on him, and you're never, ever going to replace a Michael Jordan. But, yeah, it's quite uh, an interesting period of time for him. That season's not spoken about. The other thing that's kind of a bit buried is the series against Orlando. Now, you remember you put up footage and then it got taken down, am I right? That's right. Okay, so that's what I want to talk about. That series, why do you think it's kind of buried? You're going to have to tell me because I haven't seen it since I was eight years old. What happened in that series? Tell me about it. That's funny because I uploaded, um, I think it was game four of the Bulls Magic series, and that was taken down. You sent it to me and it was down Within 12 hours, which is quick. Somehow, game six still stays on there. And I think I uploaded another game earlier in the series, which is still on there. But strangely, um, yeah, it's a series that's often forgotten. Of course, Jordan was wearing 45 uh, after game one of that series. Nick Anderson questioned that Jordan, had he uh, been his old number 23, that wouldn't have happened. And of course, come game two, Jordan had an absolute ripper of a game and reverted back to his famous number 23. Um, So there's heaps of different storylines throughout that series. Chicago definitely should have won the series. They just gave it away, unfortunately. I guess they were still trying to gel together as a team. People sort of say, oh, the NBA wants people to forget about it, but I think that's far from the truth. It's just a strange moment in time where the Bulls hadn't yet quite gelled. They had to make some more moves. They got rid of Purdue. They brought in Rodman. It'd be fascinating to sort of see more of a deep dive into that, but uh, for the time being, I guess we can only imagine what could have been, but quite uh, fascinating to watch when you look back on it all those years down. 
when you say they gave it away, what do you mean? Like, did they miss late shots? Was Jordan not good? You talked about not gelling, but is there any like game in particular where they didn't play so well? Game six, uh, we're talking about 1995 NBA playoffs, Bulls Magic. It was played in Chicago, and with three minutes and 24 seconds left in the fourth quarter, Chicago were leading 102 to 94, and they end up losing that game at home to the Magic. It's hard to even imagine that's the case. The final score was 108 to 102. So Chicago didn't score again for the last three minutes and 24 seconds. That's the decider at Chicago. I just can't believe it. The Bulls let that one slip. Sure, they would have had to go back to play a game seven in Orlando. They were up eight at home with three minutes left and lost the game. With Jordan. With Jordan. There was opportunities throughout the series where the Bulls could have ran up an extra game and actually could have closed it out in game six rather than actually being closed out in game six. I don't have any other questions for you. I'm very happy with the way that went. I'll speak again soon sometime. Thanks very much, mate. It's been a pleasure chatting to you as well. Thanks for listening. I welcome your interaction with the show. You can suggest topics or guests you want to hear conversations with. Send me an email. Audio clips are welcome. In all at gmail.com. Time to share another great review from a fan of the show. Thanks to Traveling Truth Seeker via Apple Podcasts USA. It's titled Podcast That Saved 2020 for Me. It's rated five stars, thank you, and it reads As wild as the year 2020 was, I found this podcast on Spotify and started binging the episodes. Since I couldn't give it a review there, here I am. I grew up in the 90s and to be able to relive memories like this is amazing. Truly an astoundingly researched and entertaining podcast, this show is a gem. Now, I promise you I did not write that myself. I couldn't even pay somebody to write something as great as that. Thank you, Travelling Truth Seeker. I'm sure that's not your real name. I really appreciate the support. I'd love for you to reach out and actually let me know where you're based in the USA and uh, perhaps a few details about you. Thanks so much for the very kind words. Worldwide, the show has 179 ratings on Apple Podcasts with an average of four and a half stars with 93 reviews across all providers. Thanks for your continued support. If you add a review, I'd love to read it out on a future episode. Your ratings and reviews are one of the best ways to support the podcast. If you enjoy the show, please tell your basketball-loving friends about it. Your word-of-mouth recommendations are truly worth their weight in gold. Stay up to date with my podcast and subscribe to my free email newsletter. You'll receive exclusive details on upcoming podcast episodes, future guests to appear on the show, and more. Simply email me inallairness at gmail.com. You can follow my show in various ways. Search for In All Airness, three words, on your podcast app of choice. The show is readily available on most listening platforms. Check the podcast archive for plenty more episodes with a great range of guests. Follow me on social media. My handle on Instagram and Twitter is at In All Airness. Search In All Airness on Facebook and YouTube too. Join me next time for another edition of the show.